0: Welcome to the Wired to Hunt
1: podcast, your home for deer hunting news, stories, and strategies. And now, your host, Mark Kenyon. Welcome to the Wired to Hunt podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kenyon. This is episode number 138. Today in the show, we're joined by expert shed hunter and author, Joe Shedd. And as you might have guessed, we're talking shed hunting. Great. Welcome to the Wire to Hunt podcast brought to you by Sitka Gear. And today we are talking shed hunting and we're joined by the man who literally wrote the book on <laughs> shed hunting. And, and I kid you not, Dan, the guy's name is Joe Shed, <laughs> right? It almost sounds fake. Well, what, I, what, what I've wondered is like, did he go out and change his name because he wanted to be a shed hunting guy or was it fate? Did fate destined him to write a book on shed hunting i don't know which it is but i don't know but joe's an avid shed hunter
2: is he the first guy to ever go shed hunting
1: i doubt that i doubt that you don't don't think so but you can ask him when we get him on huh Uh, i'll let you ask that question (laughs) (laughs) okay sounds good okay so joe joe is an avid possibly the first shed hunter. <laughs> he, he's a past contributor to Deer and Deer Hunting magazine. And like I said, he wrote the book on shed hunting called Shed Hunting, A Guide to right. Finding Tailed Deer Antlers. So in a few minutes here, we're going to get him on the line and we're going to go deep into everything he knows about finding antlers. And I'm pretty pumped about that. I don't know about you, Dan, but this is that time of year where, uh, you know, the shed itch is uh, needs right. to be scratched, right? Right. Amen. Like I need to just go for a long eight hour walk. Mm -hmm. There's something, I mean, a, it's fun to actually be out there looking for sheds, but then also, at least for me, usually that's the first opportunity I get for some serious outdoor time in like a month or so, other than some little scouting trips and stuff, you know, a good full day of shed hunting is just like a little bit healing for the soul, right? Right, right. Just, uh, you know, beat cabin fever a little bit
2: and get out there and, um, I, I remember me and my buddy Ryan it was in 2012 I think we went out on a, a shed hunt he had a, a little girl at home and my wife was just getting ready to uh, um, have our first child and we found a day that worked for both of us and we went out and it was like 10 degrees that day in February and we still went out and we still <laughs> pounded the ground you're doing it no matter away. what yeah, no matter what. So uh we uh we pounded the ground, came away with a couple sheds, but uh most importantly, you know, we got to go outside.
1: Yeah. Much needed at this time of year. I'm definitely right. I've definitely got cabin fever. Um have you got out walking at all yet?
2: <laughs> Come on, Mark. Okay. <laughs> what kind of what kind of <laughs> questions that? You're talking to a guy who went hunting one time from November 3rd to January 10th.
1: I was trying to give you the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> well,
2: well, don't do that next time.
1: <laughs> All right, my bad. <laughs> what about this? Do you have a game plan for when you will go out for the first time?
2: Yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be really soon. Um, it, one of my farms really close to the house. This weekend, um, I'm actually going to pick up my um, pick up my mount. Wow! It's done. Yep, it's done already. Yep. And um, while I'm down in that neck of the woods, I'm going to go out near one of my farms that I hunt and I'm going to be talking to a new landowner to ask permission to shed hunt and turkey hunt this spring. And uh, hopefully that might lead into the, um, the whitetail season, bow hunting, because that piece of property is next to another awesome piece of property that I know I can't hunt. Because the the farmer who owns that property is a big time hunter. Him and his family bow hunt, but the land next to it it's kind of some scrub ground, and you know, you know how the rut is, man. Those those big bucks will take a cruise every once in a while into some of these not so, you know, sought after pieces, and uh, those are the pieces that I like.
1: Yeah, you you bring up a good point, and I know we've talked about it in past episodes over the last few years, but you know, this is such a great time to get shed hunting permission and establish that relationship, which can someday lead to hunting permission, maybe. I mean, even right. if, even if you're not like a shed hunting addict, you should start doing it simply if for no other reason to try to eventually lead to some possible new hunting spots. Cause it's, it's a really, really good way to at least, you know, introduce yourself to people and and get that conversation started.
2: Amen. Amen. And I'll be doing a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, I think this year in particularly, I don't know how much longer I'm going to have my my main farm. It may be only be five years, but I need to start striking some uh, relationships with some new farmers, and this is the time of year to do it.
1: So, why why do you say that that you're not sure about how long you'll be able to hunt the current spot? Is there some like well, new information that makes you think well, that way, or
2: it's getting to the point where the the landowner is to an age where she even mentioned, she's like, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this or how much longer it's going to be in the family. Um, It might be sold within, you know, because I'm not really sure how old she is. I've never asked, but she's in her 60s if I had to guess. And um, she, you know, she's starting to get rid of some of her livestock because it's just too much work for her. And uh, that kind of leads to, you know – The next step, which is no livestock and just cash renting out the farm, but she's got like five sisters or uh, five siblings, and you know when it comes to a kind of a scenario like that, half of them or a majority of them who don't like to like the farm life, they just want the money. Yeah, and they're gonna sell it and split up the money. If I had to guess, and uh, go from there. And then, you know, typically what will happen is uh, some. Either a rich farmer, or I shouldn't say rich, but a farmer will come in and buy the ground for uh, their livestock and their um, and their crops, or it's going to get purchased by someone who is all about the you know the hunting, and then they'll cash rent that to the uh, as well, and then adios to me and the other guys that hunt that that piece.
1: Well, what you got to do is you got to start saving your pennies, Dan. And then buy that son of a gun. Yep. Yep. Abracadabra. (laughs) Yeah. Just as easy as that, right? (laughs) (laughs)
2: Hey, I'm going to give you $15 for 480 acres. You cool with that?
1: (laughs) Uh, Wouldn't it be nice to be independently wealthy?
2: Oh, man. I'm I'm trying. Uh, Maybe you should sell. How much do you think you could sell Wired to Hunt for right now? Like 15 mil?
1: not nearly as much as I wish I could <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: not nearly enough that's for sure uh yeah that's but shed uh, hunting back
2: to back to shed hunting man yeah. I don't know about you but it like you like you I think you were getting ready to say it's like a mind cleanse
1: yeah yeah it's just good to get out there and At least for me, at least for 90% of the time, there are those times like after you shed hunting for like 10 straight hours and you haven't seen a thing, then you sometimes start to wander, I feel like. But lots of times when I'm shed hunting, you know, you're so focused on searching for that bone, just constantly scanning, looking, you know, it, it takes your mind off of all the other things going on in your life that maybe could be stressing you out or worrying you or anything like that. It's just a great way to get out there in fresh air and just be in a zone. Right. and uh, and that's pretty the nice. other cool
2: thing about shed hunting is let's say you go out and you do a a huge push that night, you're sleeping like a baby mm-hmm. i love I love just going out and getting exhausted and then going home and crashing.
1: yeah, I agree. I've been holding off on going out too i'm I'm just as bad as you. I haven't really done any shed hunting yet because you know I, I don't have a ton of spots here in Michigan that I can go, so I've been trying to wait till most of those antlers are hopefully on the ground and with this mild winter we've had, I think, at least in places where they have milder weather, we're probably gonna possibly have a later antler drop for some deer too, or at least more scattered. Um, I'm sure I'm sure Joe will talk about this a little bit, but I don't know what you've seen, Dan, but from what I've seen, it yeah. seems like when you've got those really hard, cold, snowy winters, the antlers tend to fall a little bit earlier and they tend to be more yep. concentrated, you know, around right. the couple core food sources or whatever. But when it's kind of snowless and mild, like at least it's been here in Michigan I kind of wear that's going to make it kind of tough. Those antlers are going to be all over the place and uh, you know, it's going to be hard to know when they've dropped my I've, I've lost pretty much all the bucks off of my property, my main Michigan property. Um, There's nothing on trail camera anymore. So all the food sources have dried up in the area. My food plots actually got flooded. Uh, We had a ton of rain and so all the foods covered in water. Um, It's now covered in snow, but um, I think that definitely hurt the activity. And so, I'm actually going to start driving around the roads here in the evening and try to relocate where some of these bucks might be now, you know, this time of year they can right. move half mile, mile, mile and a half away to find where that best food is. So I'm kind of hoping maybe I can relocate some of these bucks and uh, get permission there maybe. So that's right. like my next week, week and a half. That's my project. Awesome. Awesome. So, well, well, good luck with that. Thank you. Thank you. I, I want to mention one thing before we get Joe on. Um, I had a really cool experience this past weekend. We had, um, and and as you know, Dan, and I'm sure a lot of people who've been following both you or I on social media, or really a lot of people on social media, there's a lot of talk recently about the public lands transfer movement, which we've talked a lot about and how that's a really bad idea. Um, Well, this past weekend, Our Michigan chapter of Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, of which I'm a board member, we had an event in southwestern Michigan. We had a pint night, and we had, I don't know, somewhere around maybe 50 different guys and girls come down to have some beers and talk about public lands and talk about what we can do to try to protect these places. It was a really, really cool um, opportunity to get to see people rallying together like that. And um, I really enjoyed that. And I got to meet some Wired Hunt listeners and followers, which was really cool. Um, lots of people, lots of people were wondering why you weren't there, Dan. I don't live in Michigan. Why didn't Dan make the drive from Michigan to Michigan? (laughs) But it was cool. Um, so that was fun. And, um, the one other shout out I want to make about that event and about the topic in general is right now there is a law, a bill that has been proposed. Last week was proposed. Dan, you've heard, we've been talking about it. HR 621 Yep. proposes the sale of 3.1 million acres, I believe of public lands straight up. They're not even talking about transferring it. It's just saying we want to sell over 3 million acres of these public lands. So right. if you're not familiar with this whole deal, you can go back and listen to our podcast with Randy Newberg about it, or you can go and search on Google or on wired to hunt. There's lots of stuff I've written about it in the past. i um, talking about why this whole thing is a really bad idea. Um, but either way, Go and send an email or make a phone call to your congressman or woman. Um, right, Dan, you've done that. You reached out to yep. some of your reps. All of them.
2: Yeah. Even uh, even the uh, the Utah senator, uh, the Utah congressman who proposed the bill. I've reached out to that office
1: as well. Yeah, I think that guy has got lit up because a lot of people are yeah. sharing his Instagram account and stuff, yep. and uh, right, he's getting rightfully lost so. Yeah. Um, it's funny. I I called my my representative here for our congressional district that I live in. I called his office in Washington and his local Michigan office and I sent an email. Um, And then like the next day I got an email from a guy who said he's a big follower of Wired to Hunt. And um, he also happens to be the nephew of my representative. Oh, nice. Nice. (laughs) So he's like, you probably have been calling my uncle. (laughs) So I need to respond to that guy and say, Yes, I have been calling your uncle. <laughs> right, right. So that uh, was kind of a funny small world type thing. So hopefully if you're listening, um, talk to your uncle about how this is, is not a good idea. This is <laughs> right. not a good idea. So uh that's that's all for my little uh public land PSA, unless you've got anything else, Dan.
2: I just you know this is a light-hearted conversation between me and you but the action that needs to be taken on this should not be light-hearted this is This is a this is a real serious problem Because what happens is a, a law like this is passed and yeah, okay, so everybody thinks oh it's out west How is this gonna affect me? I'm an East Coast person. Well if you hunt public land period this is gonna show other states what they can do and it could snowball and imagine a United States with no Public land right? So this just isn't a western Issue because States like Michigan Their representatives and congressmen they, They're going to vote on this mm-hmm. So it's a very important For every person in every State to take action And when I mean take action I don't mean Share a Facebook post I mean call, email Voice your opinion
1: Yep and and to your point, Dan, you know, while this law or this proposal last week that we're talking about six twenty one, that specifically mentions a slew of Western states, there have been yep. proposals that are applying the same type of logic to all states. There was one yep. that was proposed last summer where they were um Uh, essentially we're asking to give every state permission to sell 2 million acres of federal public lands or the maximum amount of public lands they have if it's underneath that limit. Um, So there's all sorts of stuff coming out like this. It's been happening for a while now. It continues to build steam, and it's just a a really bad, poorly thought idea that uh, some people with a lot of money and interest in trying to exploit these lands are trying to push through. So uh, hunters, anglers, campers, hikers, rafters, wildlife bird watchers watchers, we all need to step up on this one because you know to your point imagine imagine this country without public lands whether it's a spot to deer hunt or a place to go take your kids to go see wildlife or somewhere to camp someday i mean these things are uh they they don't come back if we if we let them get away if we let them be developed or sold we are never getting them back so uh so that's that we'll definitely be talking more about it in the future too uh we've got some some episodes where we'll be solely talking about some things like that. So I think, uh, with that said, we'll move on back to shed hunting though. Um, and, uh, we'll, we'll talk some fun stuff about antlers. So let's take a quick break here to thank our partners at Sitka gear. And then we will give Joe a call. All right, well, some of you might recall us mentioning a few weeks ago that Sitka Gear is launching a new line of clothing specifically for female hunters. And so for our Sitka story today, I thought we'd bring on Jess DeLorenzo, an avid whitetail hunter who was recruited to be a part of that process for the new female-specific gear, and hear from her just a bit about what it was like to be a part of that.
3: Well, when they first uh, approached me about it, I mean, I was ecstatic to be involved because Um, That was like my number one want. I just wanted Sika gear that was made for women as far as the fit and and things like that. So when they told me that they were going to give it a go and were going to let me be involved with it, I was super excited. And they put myself and a few other uh, female hunters kind of in a room at Sika headquarters and basically said, what do you guys want? What do you need? What kind of um, things are missing in your gear And they gave us, like, full reign. We were able to give them all of our ideas. And from there, uh, we started getting our feedback on the designs that they were getting back and testing the prototypes. And we went through several rounds of prototype testing. Um, And then we all uh, did some hunts and things like that as well to make sure it was working out good in the field. And I spent the last two seasons testing um, the whitetail products for women.
1: Now, next week, we're going to hear more from Jess about what her and the team were ultimately able to develop for female hunters. But if you'd like to learn more in the meantime, you can visit sitkagear.com slash womens. And now, we'll get back to the show and give Joe a call. All right, with us now on the line is Joe Shedd. Thanks for joining us, Joe. Hey, glad to be there. We uh, We were just joking a little bit ago before you got on that we thought it, and you probably get this a lot, but it's it's pretty crazy that the guy that wrote the book on shed hunting has a last name Shed. Was was that fate? Like, were, did you know from the moment you were a young child that you had to be this guy, or how did it happen?
0: <laughs> no, I, I guess not. You know, all my life everybody's called me Joe Shed, and ever since uh, ever since the the book came around and uh, shed hunting got popular, then people kind of get to the Shed and. I think there's a guy that plays for the Seahawks with the same last name, so that helps too.
1: <laughs> so so is, is she the proper pronunciation though?
0: No, her shed is actually the correct pronunciation.
1: Okay. All right. Nice. So have you, yeah, have you been out up? shed hunting yet this year? You know, I want to
0: tell you the truth. I really haven't been out too much this year. Uh, just this is last weekend. I went out and did a little bit of scouting and that's about it.
1: Nice. That's uh that's the same boat that me and Dan are in, but, uh, I imagine okay. just like us, you're chomping at the bit. Are you excited to really get out there and start walking?
0: Well, I, I really am, you know, and the worst thing you can do right now is look at Facebook because it's just blowing up with all these uh, people <laughs> finding sheds, which is great, you know, but it's kind of, uh, it is what it is. Um, where I live, you know, I'm in northern Minnesota here. I'm, the county I live in actually borders Canada, so uh, we tend to get a lot of snow, although this year's been pretty mild, and I I really don't like to bother the deer when there's a lot of snow, and
1: uh, I like to ice fish, too, so it kind of gets in the way of things. <laughs> true, true. I, uh, I've got some buddies of the same way. And in most years, I'm usually trying to pull them away from ice fishing to try to get them to go walk with me. But this year, with the warm temps we've been having, it hasn't been an issue. And I'm not expecting it to be an issue probably here in the next few weeks. But uh, we just got a big dump of snow last night. So I went from feeling really good about you know, maybe being able to find some mid-February antlers to all of a sudden, I don't know. So it'll be interesting, but I got to ask Joe, how, how long have you been doing this? How'd you get into shed hunting? How long ago did this all begin for you?
0: Well, I guess, I guess it's probably been around 20 years. Um, you know, when I look back, you know, deer hunting itself has really changed. I, I remember when I was a kid, you know, back in the eighties, you know, you know, going along with my dad, you know, you shot the first buck you saw, you know, there was never talk about, you know, passing up a deer or, or anything like that. It was just different. I mean, there were guys doing that, obviously, but it's different than it is now. And, and back then, it just seemed kind of crazy that a deer could live through the hunting season. And where I grew up, in Wisconsin, it's like a war zone out there opening day. And I know that's the same way in a lot of areas. And for a buck to survive long enough to grow a set of antlers and drop them and grow another set, just seemed improbable back then. So, uh, you know, as mentalities change, people passed up bucks and and, you know, deer hunting's gotten so incredibly popular. You know, just guys are into it year-round now. And, and uh, I mean, it wasn't even on the radar back then. And now it's just kind of gotten to be a, a major thing where everybody's doing it.
1: Yeah. How – do you have any idea how many antlers you've found? Do you keep track of that at all? Or do you know how many you typically find a year or anything along those lines?
0: You know, I I do keep track pretty good of uh, – as far as I like to put a tag on everyone. And uh what's really crazy is I can remember i I have a a room in the, my basement that I'm started, and I got a long ways to go on it, but I've been trying to put them on shelves and organize them and i I have people come over and I'm like pull one off the shelf, cover the tag, and I'll tell you where I found it and what you know almost sometimes what day I found it and what year and uh I'm pretty good about the old stuff you know the 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 newer stuff I can't remember as well huh. but uh as far as accounts, I really I really don't
1: know. <laughs> it's hard to say. I, uh, I'm i pretty decent when it comes to like the bigger sheds that I have. I can remember those well, but like a spike antler or like a little forky, those I feel like get all mixed up in my head and I can't keep track of those. What about you, Dan? Can you? Do you have a mind for remembering your antlers? Yeah,
2: I can check out some characteristics on the antler and, uh, and have a pretty good idea where I found them. Uh, maybe not – for me, it's not the year – but I can tell you exactly where I found the antler. Probably not what year, though. Um, however, I have a bunch of those little four-point, you know, four-point sides that they all kind of look the same. They're for, probably from a, you know, a two-year-old that uh, I probably
1: couldn't tell you where where it's from unless it has some noticeable characteristics to it. Right, your typical generic four-point two-year-old. Those do tend to right. all mix together. Um, so Joe, where are all you shed hunted? Just have you hunted other places other than your home state?
0: Yeah. Um, I've done quite a bit of traveling. Um, I had several years there where I was just able to, um, you know, be self-employed and just, um, have some, a lot of flexibility as far as travel went in the spring. I don't have that anymore and I kind of missed that, but, um, mostly across the Midwest. Um, I've been to Saskatchewan a few times. I've been on up in Alaska, um, Rockies. Um, I went on a deer hunt in Alabama once uh, on the company's dime and uh, it, I kind of got garholed. I was in a bad spot. I hadn't seen anything bigger than the spike in three days. So the last morning I climbed down early and poked around and I managed to find a drop tine shed down in Alabama. So that Ooh. was kind of cool. Wow.
1: Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Where's your favorite place to shed on? What's, your, what's the best state you think?
0: You know, I really don't know. Uh, there's so many good areas. I mean, you look at you know, areas like Iowa and Illinois are obviously famous. They have a lot of deer and a lot of big antlers. Um, Saskatchewan is incredible as far as you know, just the trophy class and the the amount of antlers. Um, but to be honest with you, the the stuff I really like the best is the stuff right around home because you know those are the deer I know and maybe have a history with. And you know, you got to understand, I go out on my own in my on my own turf, and if I find one shed a day that's a good day for me because the areas I live in don't have exceptional deer numbers. They don't have exceptional trophy um, potential, but uh, you know, it's the deer I'm familiar with, the deer I hunt, and that kind of makes it special to me.
2: Yeah. I can. So when it, when it really starts getting good, uh, you know, that late February, early March, where f- for me, historically is when I f- have found the most antlers, are you pounding ground eight hours a day or are you, you know poking in for a a one like a one or two hour walk here, you know next day you'll go out for a couple hours or or do you hit it hard for like four weeks?
0: yes it it kind of depends on the situation. Um, back in the day when I had a lot more free time when I didn't have a real job, um, <laughs> I'd go out pretty much every day, and uh, um I looked in some urban areas where you know the deer are very visible and they're relatively tame you know they see people on a daily basis or in city parks and stuff and and uh kind of the name of the game with that was you got to be the the first guy down the trail on the day it drops and get lucky because you know some of those areas I'd go in three times a week and uh just a small area that you know took me a half hour to cover but I'd just get burned out doing that over and over and you'd go in there you could see the deer I mean a lot of times I get pictures of them or videos because they're they're relatively tolerant of people and that stuff just burned me out. Um, what I really like to do when it's when it's game on time, I'm going to go all day every day. Um, you know, I'm a weekend warrior again. But um, you know, we'll do uh, buddy and I'll do trips. We'll go to Montana for a week or Idaho or something, and, and pound it pretty hard. And, and that's always a lot of fun.
1: When you do those Western trips, are you looking for whitetailers or elk and muleys up in the you know a little farther up in the country?
0: Well, it depends where we go. Um, out in Montana, we'll we'll do the river bottoms in the eastern part of the state, and and then it's you know it's whitetails down the river bottoms, and then you kind of get up in the uh, foothills a little bit, uh, get in just a little bit of elevation. You know, get in some mule deer. Um, we've gone higher elevation out in um, Idaho, where we're you know each day we'll start at like maybe say roughly 5,000 feet, and we'll end up at 8,000, and uh, then it's mule deer and, and elk, and um, that's a lot of fun. But man, that's a it's a
1: pounding. <laughs> I bet this is something I'm I'm particularly intrigued with because I think I'm going to try to do some Rocky Mountain shed hunting for the first time this year um is it is it at least on the whitetail front when you're searching the river bottoms and stuff is it dramatically different than shed hunting in the midwest or something or are you just basically trying to find the good winter food source and bedding and walking those bottoms
0: well, you know, I've I've done the Montana river bottom thing a couple of times and um, you know, I, I don't want to say it's easy, but I think it's kind of easy compared to what I'm used to. Um, out there, you know, it's it's so much wide open spaces, it's you know, there's going to be fields and stuff, but really the only cover around is going to be cottonwoods down on the river bottoms and it's pretty easy to figure out where they're where they're spending their time, you know, that's the only cover available, so that's where we shed hunt. Um, you just follow the river corridor, which makes it pretty easy.
1: I like the idea of easy shed hunting. <laughs> that,
0: <laughs> I do, too.
1: That sounds right up my alley. <laughs> I, uh, how, the problem
0: how? is we run into a lot of competition doing that, too. You know, We're not the only guys going out there, and we'll talk to a rancher, and he'll say, yeah, we had you know two groups come through here already, but you know, we still find sheds, too. So,
1: Oh, really? Interesting. So rewinding just a little bit, um, how did the book come to be? How did you end up getting the idea and the desire to write a book on shed hunting?
0: Well, I guess it was kind of a, a long process. Um, you know, by trade, I'm an outdoor writer. I I worked for Deer and Deer Hunting magazines for a few years, and um, that was my full-time job. And um, I was kind of immersed in everything deer at that point. You know, working on the magazine, and you know, I'm a writer. And uh, I kind of well, I really got into shed hunting. You know, when I really, really started getting into it was the early 2000s. Um, I'd tried, you know, back in the 90s and stuff. And back in the good old days before everybody else was doing it i wish i could go back but um started kicking around the idea you know it was just really starting to gain popularity in the early 2000s and i'm like you know there's no book on this i should write a book and uh i kind of toyed with the idea for a while and i knew you know you start writing a book you start publicizing it you're kind of cutting your own throat because the next thing you know you're going to find footprints where you'd like to shed hunt and (laughs) and that really kind of made me balk for a while. And I. I probably sat on the idea for about a year and, uh, finally got to the point where I kind of was, you know, doing a pro and con thing and realized that, you know, it's something I really enjoy. And you know, the first thing that I like to do when I, when I find a good fishing spot or when I find a good shooting spot, is I always want to bring a friend, you know, you know, not, <laughs> not somebody that's going to you know, mess me up and come back without me, but a good friend and, right. <laughs> and share that experience. <laughs> you gotta pick and choose i know mm-hmm. i've been burned before but uh you know i come back there and it's it's more enjoyable with a, a friend and or just to see the look on somebody's face when they finally shedding and uh i kind of realized as well you know i figured if i didn't somebody would at some point anyway um and looking back over the you know the last decade or so there's just been it's just gained so much popularity you look at the facebook pages there's a bunch of different facebook pages dedicated to it that that weren't around back in the day. And, um, it's just, it's gone so mainstream, you know?
1: Yeah. Like you said, it was probably inevitable. There there was so much momentum building up, regardless of if you put a book out or not, probably, like you said, someone would be putting out that information. Um, but do your friends ever give you crap when your good shed hunting spots get picked up by other people?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I'm I know there's people that I'm sure wouldn't, uh, wouldn't appreciate me publicizing the sport, but you know, there's, there's been so many people doing it over the last few years and it's, it's really getting hard. I got it. I have a couple of spots. I will not go to in the wintertime when there's snow on the ground and, cause I won't leave a track. And, you know, I've, I've gotten burned. I've told a couple of people and brought them in there. And the next thing you know, they're bringing their friends and, and without you and that kind of made me mad a little bit. And you just got to kind of pick and choose. And uh, I, I tend to, be willing to show people stuff if they're good friends of mine but i got a couple of spots i won't take anybody (laughs) i got
2: a question for you now i like to i like to shed hunt a lot but i i really only like to shed hunt pieces of property where i can keep the sheds now i've been invited to several other farms where the guy's like hey um you want to come shed hunting with me and, uh, but, but at the end of the day, I'd like to have those sheds. Well, for me, that just seems like a waste of time because I feel that I have enough ground to pound on my end, you know, to, to, uh, you know, go and keep that sheds, which, which kind of leads me to this, these set of rules that I was, Taught by another group of guys that I used to shed hunt and then and Mark's shed it hunted with me before and um, So he kind of knows them, but the rules are um, Number one if you find it, you know, you get to keep it number two if Let's say I find the first shed and Mark finds the matching set Mark gives up that that side so the set can stay together and then the other rule, the very last rule, is if somebody kills that deer. So let's say Mark has the matching set, or, or just one of the antlers, and I kill the deer, he gives them up. So the all the antlers are with you know with the deer. Do you have any type of unwritten rules that you live by when it comes to shed hunting?
0: I guess I don't, Dan. Um, that's kind of what exactly what you said is basically kind of the unwritten rule that I have heard and, and usually go by. Um, I don't end up in that situation a lot. Um, I have a good friend named Dan Hess, who I shed hunt with. And I know that we've found, uh, in the past, one, one of us will find, uh, one antler and the other guy will get the match. And and then we usually do give it up. Um, so I think that what you said is pretty much right, but you know, it depends on the given circumstances and, you know, you you start to get a really special shed, you know, maybe it's a 80 or 90 inch shed. It's, it's awful hard for that second guy to, to give it up when he knows, that. Um, The first guy got, especially if, if they don't know each other. I mean, if you're helping a right. guy look specifically look to match that deer up, that's one thing. But if you just find it, you know, on your own, then it's a little sticky.
2: Right. And I guess all those rules are, you know, addressed up front when you know either I go hunting, you know, shed hunting with somebody, or somebody comes shed hunting with me.
3: Yeah. You yeah.
0: know, and I don't, I don't ask people to to give it up. It, to me, it's their choice. It doesn't mean right. that much unless I say, hey, we're specifically looking for this deer. You know, if they find something else that I have a match to and they want to keep it, you know, I've I've got enough sheds, maybe. <laughs> but, you know, I, I, I just I feel bad about asking. You know, it's like if it, if it was something where I said, hey, I'm specifically looking for this deer, then it's kind of understood. But it, and otherwise, you know, I'm pretty lenient. I mean, it, I, I hate to take a shed from somebody.
1: Right. Yeah. We we've actually started nixing that rule with some of my buddies this past year um just because it, especially if you like if you don't, you know, like you said Joe, if it's a buck you know and you really want to find those antlers, you know, we're all about giving those antlers to that guy if it's his property or something, but but otherwise like, I don't know. I get I know Dan, you're really big on the antlers should be together and the match set belongs a match set. I get that, and that's cool. But at the same time, I also know, like, if it's random antlers and the only antler you find one day or that day, if such and such finds this antler, he's super pumped about it. And then a minute later, such and such finds that one antler, and that's the only antler he finds that day. And you were both really pumped to find this antler. And then all of a sudden, you have to give it up. I'm kind of like, at least for me now, I think I've decided that, you know, unless it's like a deer I'm personally after, if it's just a random match, I'm like, you know what, just keep it. Um, right. because gosh, you spend so much time out there walking and you get that little burst of excitement. It's kind of a, a major bummer to then take that little burst of excitement away. <laughs> but yeah, you know, to your point, I think it's just a good idea to have that conversation up front and make sure everyone's on the same page. And, um, right. you know, as long as there's not this like presumption and then all of a sudden someone's got an antler in the hand and, and you go walk up to them and say, Hey, give it to me. That's when things get a little ugly. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it's good to have those conversations early um joe I b I wanna um take a step back again, and I'm curious, can you tell us a little bit about the antler shedding process? um I know you mentioned that in your book a little bit, and that's something we haven't talked about before here. Can you just talk a little bit about how that happens when that happens specifically, like why that happens?
0: Sure, um, I did a lot of research on that you know when I was writing the book, and um basically kind of, it comes down to, um, as uh, the light levels decrease in the fall, um, going into midwinter, uh, buck's testosterone uh, levels start to drop. And that's kind of what puts everything in motion. Um, and as those, those testosterone levels drop, um, these cells called osteoclasts, if you want to really get technical, start forming at the base of the pedicle where the antler attaches to the head. And what happens eventually, um, they kind of... Um, devour that calcium. Um, antlers mostly made of calcium and phosphorus. And uh, what happens is the calcium kind of starts to get reabsorbed into the skull. And uh, so that's why you get why the base of a shed is kind of rough. That sandpapery texture, that's little, they call them spicules of calcium, getting pulled back into the skull. And eventually when uh, those strands get too weak, um, the antler just drops off.
1: And is there, and... sorry, continue. Oh, yeah,
0: I was just going to add, you know, it's what's kind of baffling, though. I mean, you know, bucks can start dropping as late as or as early as late November and as late as May. Um, so it's a, a long, drawn out process. Um, you know, generally most bucks are going to shed between probably December and March, and it seems to be a seasonal or a, um, an area specific thing to some extent. Uh, some areas they drop earlier than later. Um, but it's kind of baffling, you know, if testosterone levels are the root cause of it. Why, why do some antlers drop, you know, so early and why some so so late? I mean, there's a lot of mysteries we really don't know about it yet.
1: And are there some, any other like external factors? I, I've, I've heard of some different external factors, but do you know of any that can cause antlers to drop earlier or later, um, weather or health or anything like that that you've, that you've seen or researched?
0: Yeah, well, health definitely can play a role too. uh, a lot of times I know if, you know, if a buck is injured or, you know, if it gets shot or hit by a car or something, um, it, a lot of times those bucks will drop early. Um, um, you know, if he's if he's not getting enough food, he might be a little bit stressed. Um, weather, people always talk about weather, stressing deer, and, and, you know, there's probably some truth to that, but we've seen some awful severe winters where, I mean, it's, prolong the low zero temperatures and and deep snow, and I'll I'll still see deer carrying into March. So um, I'm not really sure about that. And, you know, the question always comes up, do the big bucks drop first or the little bucks? And, you know, I think to some extent maybe the big bucks do drop first, but, you know, there's so many exceptions that you really can't get a hard and fast
1: rule out of any of it. Yeah. Sorry, Dan, were you going to say something?
0: Yeah,
2: I talked to – one of my buddies who's a deer farmer, Sam Calora, and he told me that I think in February, I think it's February, he will feed, you know, he has his deer and he feeds them. And then for, I think he said, this, don't quote me, but come late February or early March, he will starve them for like, like remove food for I think four or five days and he's he says without a doubt most of the antlers fall off in that time period because of what I'm assuming is the stress from being hungry so I don't know if you know that's just repeated you know basically regurgitated information Uh, don't quote me on that but I I wonder how much winter stress is the actual cause of sh- the shedding process.
0: It's a, it's a fascinating story. It's, you know, and I can see that being true, but uh, yeah, um, it's hard to say, but that, that would certainly makes sense.
3: Hmm.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Um, another thing I saw you'd written, Joe, that related to this issue of timing that was I found pretty interesting is that you'd mentioned that you'd heard somewhere or, write something or something along the lines of that many bucks tend to drop their antlers at the same time of year, every year, like within a few days. Is that the case?
0: Yeah. I ran across something in the scientific research. Um, I was going through a lot of uh, scientific stuff when I wrote it and uh, yeah, uh, there was, you know, cases where, you know, it's, you know, pen deer so they can study them closely and uh, it seemed to be pretty much, you know, Basically, the same days
1: that they would shed each year, you know, within a few days. That yeah, that that's there's all these weird factors. Like to your point, Dan, there there could be like this external stress factor, but then there's right. also like this what should be consistent testosterone relationship to daylight factor, and then there's also like is there some kind of genetic factor? Because if there's like a consistent unique date for an individual buck, like man, I think uh, like you said earlier, Joe, there's lots of mysteries here. Um, and I guess that we
2: all talk about, we we always talk about, you know, you know, an annual pattern for deer movement. So you, one could assume that, you know, if they're on a pattern like, okay, this buck leaves my farm in September, but comes back the last week of October every year, I would, I would think that shedding could be part of that annual pattern as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. So with all this kind of, um, with all these questions around the timing of drop of antler drop, do you have a consistent date or time frame, Joe, when you think it is the best time to start shed hunting or does it depend, you know, based on some of these different conditions for you of when you start?
3: Well,
0: for me, you know, I prefer to actually go after the snow is melted. I just, I like looking on the bare ground better than in the snow. Um, so if I can, I usually try to time it after, after the fact, um, you know, I start chomping at the bit, you know, I start kind of getting that itch too. Um, weather patterns make a difference too. You know, we had a kind of a January thaw here where we lost, you know, a lot of the snow that we did have. And then we just got three inches of snow yesterday. So that kind of affects things. Um, but you know, usually, I don't usually get out till, you know, I don't usually start hitting it pretty hard till March and that's just, my personal preference, you know, you know, not that there's not antlers out there to be found right now, and, you know, some guys might prefer walking in the snow. You know, if there's a lot of snow, they're either going to be right on the trails, or they're going to be in a bed, or they might be out in a field someplace, but it kind of narrows it down. Um, I find when I'm walking on snow, when I'm going down a heavy deer trail, it's like, you can really fly, because they're they're right there. You know, they're, you don't have to be scanning so much to the side. You know, they're either going to be right there right. or not. So you know i guess it just kind of depends on the individual and and what you're seeing in your area you know i talked to people in different areas you know some a guy told me in northern illinois or northern iowa you know the deer are, are already shed um early you know december same thing out in montana they drop early and then i talked to some guys in different areas and everything's holding tight till the end of february early march so you know if if you're seeing bucks as you're driving around or got trail cam images that they're still holding, I mean, it doesn't really pay to, to get out.
1: You mentioned that you do some scouting. What does that entail? Like your pre shed hunting scouting. Is it just doing a quick walk or is it glassing or what are you doing there and why?
0: Well, um, a lot of times it's, you know, I don't really do a whole lot of scouting uh, for deer anymore. Um, what I would do is you know if there are fields available, I drive around fields at night and and try to see where the deer are or what they're doing. Um the scouting I was talking about, um actually really gotten to looking for moose sheds in the last couple of years. It's kind of really been where I've been putting my effort, and uh, I was out this weekend uh, hiking around trying to just figure out establish where they're at so that I can come back in the spring because um where I was looking, the snow was beyond my knees um, so. It's going to be pretty hard to find sheds. I was on snowshoes. I was able to stay on top of it, but you know, moose drop earlier, usually you know, December, a lot of them, and so most of those sheds are going to be buried. I didn't find any, so I just I said I was scouting, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it helps you to have a good a starting point. You know, in in our area where there is snow, you know, where those antlers that are going to be buried, you know, you can come in there in the spring, and then you'll have a good idea where you should begin.
1: Yeah
2: do you get a lot of rodent chew? So you know, everybody wants to find the the perfect shed, you know, it's, it hasn't been chewed on by mice or squirrels or anything like that. Are you ever, if you're looking for a particular buck, are you ever worried about uh, like rodent, rodents chewing on them or is, is that a problem up there in Minnesota?
0: Well, it's, it's certainly not a huge problem here compared to areas. Uh, I know areas that have a lot of oak trees and a lot of squirrels. Um, you know, where they got gray squirrels and fox squirrels, that's that's where you really get your damage, I think. Um, so if, you, if you've got oak woods on your property, you know, you're going to want to hit those early and often. And, and well, I always tell people if, if that's the situation, hit the oak woods repeatedly, hit them early, and then the fields you can, you can leave till later because, you know, nothing should bother them out there. Um, here we have red squirrels, and uh, they do chew on antlers, but not really to the extent that the uh, that, uh fox squirrels and gray squirrels will, so I do find some chews um I'll find gnaws on antlers from uh um coyotes or wolves and uh I got one that was just a beautiful shed a few years ago that um had like six inch mass measurements that wow. was just chomped in half by either a bear or a wolf That is all I can figure it was it wasn't chewed by a squirrel it was it was chomped
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> um This whole issue of like when to get out there is always one that I'm always struggling with because I feel like it's a balancing act between, you know, if you go too late, you risk, you know, this thing we just talked about, you know, you risk antlers getting chewed on or you risk other people getting out there and scooping up the sheds first. But if you go too early, you could be out there in the snow and have buried sheds or you could, you know, if you go on there too much, you could end up spooking bucks away from these areas and then, you know, they drop their antlers on your neighbor. Um, so that's always like this weird balancing act I find myself trying to play is like figuring out when's like the best time where most antlers are on the ground, but I'm not so late that I'm going to be missing out on them. Um, that seems to, to require a certain level of scouting, whether it be the trail cameras or like you said, glass and fields and stuff to try to figure out right when the buck you're after, or most of the bucks are dropping. And, but like you said, it's always different. So I don't, I don't have a good answer for that either. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, you're exactly right. You know, people ask and they want uh, they want you to point to a day on the calendar, and you you kind of got to be like a politician. you got to kind of give them a muddy answer because there is no absolute answer. All those factors you mentioned, you know, um, is it public ground or private ground? Is there snow or is there not snow? Are there squirrels or are there not squirrels? And that all kind of comes into play. Have they dropped or are they still carrying? You know, you got to kind of weigh all those factors like you said and, and make your decision based on that.
1: hmm so, for someone who hasn't gone shed hunting before, I don't know if there's any of those types of people listening to this podcast, but but if there is, <laughs> if there is, uh, Joe, what kind of like equipment or things do they need to think about bringing with them or thinking about before going shed hunting? You know, do you have some basic stuff that you always prepare before a shed hunt?
0: Well, my friends who know me know that I'm notoriously light on gear. Um, I usually just go for a walk with what's in my pocket, my cell phone, and that's about it. And about two hours into it, I'm wishing I would have brought some food or something. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, really, just a good pair of hiking boots is, you know, all you really need. And then you can go from there, you know, GPS or um, are you going to need a backpack? Or are you going to find a bunch of sheds? You know, are you going to need food and water? Um, that's all usually a good thing to bring, you know, depending on how long you're going to be out there. Um, but then it just depends on your situation. You know, binoculars can be good if you're in, uh, say, you're glassing out in a soybean field or alfalfa field or something like that. Um, if you're in a wooded area where I do a lot of my shed hunting, I, I never use binoculars there because it's just, they're not practical. You um, know, cameras, but everybody's got a phone these days because everybody wants to take a picture of the shed as they found it, which is cool. Um, and then it just depends from there. You know, you might be riding an ATV across a, a soybean field or something, or it just kind of gets into the, specialized situations but you really don't need a lot of gear but um you you may do with what you need
1: yeah i'll add toilet paper make sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> how did i forget
2: that <laughs> or you walk out of the woods with one sleeve
0: on your shirt <laughs> exactly <laughs> how did i forget that yeah i forgot that when we're talking it means i forget it when we're uh when i'm shed hunting too <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah you never want to be in that position <laughs> All right, so we're we're ready to go shed hunting. We brought our T P and our boots. Um I'm I'm curious, Joe, when you start out on a property, do you have like a plan in place to attack that property on that day? Like do you know, okay, I'm gonna go to A this spot and B that spot and C this spot or do you just start walking willy nilly? Like what's your process of of breaking down a property?
0: Well, you know, some of that's where your scouting comes into play. If you've been driving around and I don't know, seeing deer at night in fields or have trail camera picks, you know, you kind of know where the deer are, where are wintering. And, uh, you know, that can change seasonally. They might be in a different spot in, in January than they were during a hunting season. You need to remember that. Um, but as far as that, um, it comes down to, one, figuring out, you know, the productive ground, and, and two, trying to eliminate the unproductive ground. Um, you know, there's going to just be areas of a of a property that aren't really going to hold deer. Um I always think of a a spot I like to shed hunt, and there's a little ash forest in there, and they just don't seem to spend any time in there. And so if I can eliminate that ground, I can kind of say, okay, I'm going to focus most of my time on the more productive ground. Um, So I'll just try to hit the, you know, it depends on how much time you have, too. I mean, if I've got all day to dedicate to it, you know, I can take the liberty to, you know, hit the best spots first and then kind of just go down the list from there. If I've only got a couple hours, I'm going to try to go right to the, the very best spot I've got and maximize my time. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. That, that seems to be what a lot of the, the best shed hunters I know do. It's, it's really prioritize those best spots, spend the majority of your time there, and um, you know, if you can focus more time in the good spots, then you're definitely going to have a, a higher percentage of success. But then that naturally leads to the question of what are the best spots? So what do you view as, as productive ground? What kind of things are you looking for?
0: well you know uh, in the simplest terms, I mean deer are going to be either bedding feeding or or traveling between those two areas in the in the winter time, so you can kind of narrow it down to those three types of things you know it might be farm fields, it might be uh uh haystacks, it could be you know just um forest brows, could be the feeding areas um bedding areas um could be good thick cover it could be some conifers you know some pine trees or something that provides some shelter from the wind uh catches the snow um holds it up in the branches um but what a lot of people don't realize too is that uh sometimes the best uh, bedding cover is a lack of cover um and that's where the south facing hillsides come into play um that's always a really good spot to look for sheds because that's the area that gets the most direct sunlight in the winter and uh you'll find if, if you're in a snowy region like I live, um, the north slope will have a lot more snow than the south side because the sun's beating down and melting it. And uh, a deer is a lot like a cat, like, the, you know, like a cat sitting in a window, soaking up that sunlight. A deer's going to do the same thing. It's it's trying to survive. It's you know it's trying to conserve body heat. And, and uh, a lot of times they'll bet on that south slope. Uh, sometimes east slope as well, um, trying to take advantage of that morning sun too. Um, so those are things I look for I guess, uh, in general, um, you know, good feed, uh, good food sources, um, south slope of Hills, um, you know, bedding areas that might be, uh, you know, thick cover like pine trees, like I said, or a thick brush. Uh, it just kind of depends,
2: you know, do you focus ever on like fence crossings or crit crossings, or I guess, where do you typically find a majority of your sheds?
0: Yeah. Well, the fence and creek thing, as you mentioned, I'm sure you know, is um, they're jumping that obstacle of fence or the creek and, and on impact they can lose on the antler. Um, and I have found sheds uh, laying right in creeks before. Um, everybody talks about the fence crossing. I've actually only found very few sheds at fence crossings, but they do occur. Um, I guess I don't look a lot along a lot of fence lines. Yeah, sorry, fence lines either. But, uh, you know, most of my sheds, um, and it comes down to... The areas I search too. Where I live, we don't have agricultural fields. So everything is looking in the forest. Um, so then, you know, your your food source really can be pretty much anywhere. It's not a really defined area. So as a shed hunter, I kind of i am a bed-oriented um, person. I look for deer beds. I look for areas where they're, you know, either a defined bed in one particular spot or maybe like a ridge line where they're going to bed all along that ridge. That's kind of how i look and i know i've shed hunted with other people and we have we have different styles and it kind of comes down to what we're used to um, guys are more agricultural areas are going to be more likely to you know look those field edges or whatever and you know you kind of start with what you know but you should be willing to adapt to different situations as well
1: right yeah speaking of like locations one um on the on the bedding area side of things one kind of just randomly popped in my head that, um, and I, and I gotta say, Joe, um, taking a step back here, when I first got into shed hunting, um, I don't know, eight years ago or nine years ago or whatever it was now, um, I did pick up your book and I read it and it definitely helped me. And I think I read this in your book originally and now I've seen it play out in my own life time and time again. When you're on a hillside or in a forest or something and you have like an individual conifer tree, an evergreen tree by itself, I've seen so many times. That those are the spots where a buckle bed and you find a shed there you know that little cedar tree or something by itself and some tall grass or something i always zoom over to those locations if ever i see one because that seems to be like one of those little wild card spots kind of where um you know it's like the spot within the spot like it's a bedding area but then that specific spot within the bedding area t- tends to be that isolated bedding tree or something um do you find that kind of thing still too
0: yeah you definitely nail it right on the head um if i could Pick out like my ideal spot to find a shed it would be like a a one lone conifer tree in a hardwood forest on on a south slope of a hill you know it's and if you think about it um if you know trappers are really good at reading the landscape you you think about your own hunting situation how many times have you been walking through the woods where it's maybe hardwoods or something there's one big tall white pine in that hardwoods and guess what somebody's got a stand hanging in that tree you know it stands out. I mean, people relate to it. Animals relate to it. You know, you'll find uh, bones underneath these trees where a fox or a coyote has sat there and just chewed on a bone. I mean, it, it's something that sticks out from the landscape. It's, it's not just deer that pick up on it, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. Those those bucks will go out of their way to bed underneath that lone tree or, or just a few scattered pines here and there in an otherwise hardwood forest.
1: Yeah. The issue with those spots is that they really stand out visually. So like when there's a group of like three or four of us walking through the woods, we all see that little cluster of cedars or something. You can tell everyone's pace picks up and everyone wants to get there first. (laughs) 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 I wish that that wasn't so well known now, (laughs) but uh, it's, it's funny how so many times like you can, or at least obviously it's the, the vast minority of the time, but lots of times you can call it, you can see these spots coming up and like, okay, if we're going to find a shed on this property, it's probably going to be in this little patch or underneath these couple trees or something. And so many times, I mean, it does happen. So it's, uh, it's interesting how these patterns emerge. Like you said, it's just like understanding how deer relate to cover from a hunting standpoint, they relate to these certain things and features, you know, when we're trying to look for their antlers, because it's, it's just basically, where do they bed? Where are they spending their time? Because that's where they end up dropping these. So, it's interesting yeah. to see. And,
0: you know, one thing, too, one thing I was going to say, too, is, like, it kind of goes in uh, in line with your deer hunting, too. Um, you know, when I started deer hunting, you know, I, I learned what I could, and, and I did what I, you know, just thought was natural and read books and magazines and watched uh, shows and stuff. But you start shed hunting, and in order to be successful at shed hunting, it really forces you to understand how these deer relate to the landscape, how they travel, and why they travel where they're at, and uh, the more shit hunting you do, the more you'll become a better deer hunter. And nowadays, you know, when I walk through the woods, I can just kind of look in some areas and and say they're going to be here and they're not going to be there, you know. And, and I can come in there in the springtime and I know that without seeing tracks in the snow or anything, because you just kind of develop a feel for it. And I'm not saying I'm right all the time, because I've certainly been wrong <laughs> before, but you you really develop a feel for How deer travel, and it's really going to benefit you um, during hunting season as well.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask how much you know how much you think shed hunting helps with your actual hunting. Is there anything else that you pay attention to while you shed hunt that you try to apply back to the hunting season? Like, are you do you take, let's say, you find the antlers of a buck that you'd be interested in hunting the next year? Do you take that into account the next year when hunting him? Do you think that's applicable at all, or anything like that?
0: Oh, absolutely. You know, it depends on your area um where i live a lot of the deer will uh, will shift around seasonally between fall and, and winter so they're not necessarily going to be in the same spot but uh depending on um your geographic region i mean absolutely it it plays into account
1: yeah it's i think to your point it just depends on if that deer behavior changes dramatically post season um or from the season to post season but uh but yeah i I've, I've seen some situations where you find sheds and you get a good idea of where they're spending their time in the late season. And you know, that's definitely applicable if you've got a hunting season that goes into late December or early January, um, that kind of thing. So definitely helpful. When, Mm -hmm. so we know to focus on these types of spots, you know, focus on the productive regions, bedding areas, feeding areas, travel corridors between the two. Um, but when you're actually out there walking, what kind of advice do you have for people to actually help you see more sheds and actually spot more sheds? Because it's one thing to know where you should be looking; it's another thing to actually find them. How do you How do you get better at that?
0: Okay, that's a good question. Uh, well, the first thing, and it sounds simple, but I always tell people to keep their eyes on the ground, because uh, the first couple of times that I go out for the year, I'll I'll be seeing deer. You know, I'll be I'll be in deer hunting mode. I'll be looking you know, three feet off the ground trying to see a deer when I need to keep my eyes on the ground. And it's something you really have to consciously tell yourself. Um, I'll go out with a buddy and, and he'll be like, did you see that rub? And I'll be like, what rub? Because I wasn't looking that high, <laughs> you know. Um, it's not that extreme all the time. I mean, I certainly right. see rubs and stuff. But you really need to be looking at the ground. Um, and that's where they're going to be. Um, and it sounds simple, but until you, you know, what, people always talk about throwing an antler out and uh and looking for it or if you're with a buddy and he finds a shed maybe he doesn't touch it and you come find it and until you kind of get in that situation it's, it's kind of like catching a fish until you feel that uh, how a walleye bites then you kind of understand it and once you find that first shed then something seems to click and all of a sudden after that it becomes easier you know same thing the first set of the year it always seems to be hard because you're just not in that zone and once once you see it, it, it clicks in your mind, and then you, you start realizing it's like, okay, I'm looking for tines sticking up out of the grass, and you know, it might not be a whole antler; it might be something behind a log or or buried in grass or something. You, you're maybe just looking for a couple of inches of, of that tyne sticking out, and uh, you start to kind of train your eye to see it and develop a feel for what you you should really be looking for.
1: Do you uh, is there a weather
0: condition that you
2: really like to to hunt in, to shed hunt in?
0: Well, you know, but everybody always says the, the cloudy days are best because you're not squinting and, and after rain because that mats down the grass and the leaves and, and uh, makes a little bit of a shine on the hammer. Everybody talks about that, but it, it is hard to look into, a, into the sunshine. Uh, you certainly want to keep your, the sun at your back if you can. Um, I guess I, I go whenever I can, <laughs> but uh, ideally, you know, a cloudy day after a rain would be the best conditions.
1: All right, Joe, sunglasses or no sunglasses?
0: I don't really wear sunglasses very often when I'm shed hunting, and it's just a total matter of personal preference. You know, everybody's got their own, uh, you know, opinions of of what's best for them. Um, And one thing about the sunglasses, when you're in a a brushy area, it's probably not a bad idea to be wearing them, because I know I've had so many sticks jabbed in my face before that, you know, I'm just lucky that I haven't poked my eye or something, but... uh, (laughs) It's just all
1: on personal preference. Yeah, I struggle with that because I like on those bright days where you know you're squinting and your eyes hurt. I want to put sunglasses on, but I have this like voice in the back of my head that says like something with like the lens is tinting your ability to see the sheds. They're not going to pop out to you as much. So I start wondering like, am I hurting my ability to see these things? So I'm like trying them on, trying them off, squinting, not squinting. What's worse, Um, I find myself getting crazy sometimes. (laughs)
0: Well, you know, you can find them with sunglasses. You can find them without sunglasses. So I guess it's just whatever you like best.
1: True. Maybe I should wear sunglasses so that I just have something to blame for why I don't find sheds. And I'll feel better about it. (laughs) Excuses
0: are always good. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, What about, like, do you you have any, like, specific, and I know this is going to depend on, like, the amount of cover or terrain. But, like, if you're walking a property by yourself, let's say. Like how much, what's the spacing? Like how many times do you need to walk through an area? Is it like every 10 yards is it every 40 or 50 yards that you need to space to try to say, like, to know that you covered a spot. Well, do you have any like generic typical gaps that you tend to walk an area to cover it?
0: Well, I guess it really depends on, you know, and that's, I feel like a broken record here. It depends on so many things, you know, every situation depends. Um, you know, if you're walking out in a, a picked cornfield or, or something like that, you might be taking, a, you know, just a few rows at a time. And, you know, the, the thicker the cover, the tighter the passes. Um, you know, if I'm in the woods or something or, or walking a ridgeline, I'm, I'm probably just going to walk that ridgeline once, maybe maybe a couple of times. I'll, I'll usually walk that south face and, and sometimes the north face, too, um, a little bit more towards the top. But, uh, yeah, it just depends on... The, the, cover how thick it is if if you're in oak woods it's relatively open you can you can see farther and if you're in some some real tight brush some dogwood or or something like that you're, you're gonna need to make some tighter passes so yeah everything depends
1: yeah yeah very true you know another thing i've i've sometimes done and heard other people suggest is trying to find like different perspectives like even if you've walked through an area once and it seems like you saw everything, like sometimes it's a good idea to stand on top of a stump or kneel down and look around. Do you ever do that kind of thing just to try to see things at a different angle or anything?
0: Um, yeah. I you know, a lot of guys talk about walking behind or looking behind them once in a while as well and, and sometimes you'll see a shed that you walked right by, you know, maybe the sun was in your eyes or there was a, a branch in your way or, or something that caused you to not be able to see it. Um but sometimes you know, I've certainly found sheds that I've walked within feet of, and uh, I came back, you know, on another pass through there just, you know, by chance or whatever, and in here that antler was laying right there. It was, you know, it was maybe, you know, behind a, a fallen log or something like that. Um, or maybe sometimes you just were looking left when you should have been looking right, you know. Um, um, that's another consideration is how fast you walk. Um, I always try to not walk faster than my eyes can see you know if you're sweeping back and forth left and right with your eyes if you're looking left you got to make sure that you're you're not walking so fast that you haven't had a time to bring that vision back to the right before you keep moving and uh, again if it's you know real open terrain you can walk a little faster and if it's tight woods you cover then you can you need to walk a little slower
1: yeah that's a good point do you ever do you ever walk a whole property or whole section twice or, like, come back a week later specifically because of this fact that, you know, you're inevitably probably going to miss some?
0: Oh, definitely. Um, you know, especially if you're really looking for a particular shed, um, you know, sometimes you just flat out miss them, and, and you'll find a shed that, you know, we were within, you know, a few feet of it before, and somehow you just missed it. Or, uh, I mean, I've even, you know, people, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm out there looking for sheds. I've stepped on sheds. I've kicked sheds. (laughs) And uh, you'd think you'd see those. But, uh, yeah, I'll definitely come back, especially if there's something I'm really looking for. Um, You know, and like you were saying earlier, sometimes it's a good idea to come from a different angle and and see things from a different perspective, too. So, um, or, you know, bring a buddy along and, and maybe they'll see something in a different way that you, you know,
1: something that you missed. Yeah. Yeah, very true. Well, Dan, do you what's know? the
2: biggest, yeah, I got a question. <laughs> what's the biggest shed you've ever found?
0: Well, you know, I haven't really found a whole lot of real big sheds, to tell you the truth. Um, yeah. Most of the, the bulk of the sheds I find are from, you know, yearling bucks or two-year-old bucks, just because that's mostly what's around. Um, the biggest one I've ever got was a uh, 78-inch shed I found up in Saskatchewan at Bentley Coben's. Um, and that's the one that's on the cover of my book, and that was 2006, and I haven't beaten
1: it. Well, that's a heck of nice. a shed. <laughs> yeah, that is a yeah, giant yeah, shed. That was a nice shed. <laughs> that's awesome. What's your what biggest? What did um, mine?
2: I think I can, it's sitting right above me in my office. I can't remember if it's 77 or 74 inches.
3: It's
1: hmm. a good shed.
2: What was that one you found on the prop? Uh, the property that one day when we were hunting.
1: Yeah, that's still my biggest. I think that was sixty-four and a half inches. Is that right?
2: Sixty sounds like sounds think, like it. I
1: think that's what it was. Right. So what what, what were you gonna ask, though, dude? Oh, so that was your biggest. Now, how what's the
2: most you found in one day?
0: The most I've ever found in one day was twenty. Geez. <laughs> Uh, The the sad part is the guy
1: was shed hunting with that day on 30. Wow.
0: I've only
2: had one day of shed hunting and it was a a day I didn't bring a backpack where I had to leave a pile. Uh, I, I found 11. I think that was my best day and they, nothing worth bragging about from a size standpoint, but I remember having to make a pile at a fence opening and then continue the walk. And then hopefully uh, on my way back I had to stop at the truck and then go all the way back because it was just kind of it was just awkward
1: to carry them all it's a good yeah. problem to have yep. I know
2: it yeah. wasn't 20 though
1: no <laughs> oh my gosh I'd like have a heart attack I think if I ended a day with 20 sheds that's insane uh, are you willing to share what state was that, that, that was?
0: was yeah that was that was in Saskatchewan,
1: ah, yep. Saskatchewan. And,
0: uh, yeah the kicker was that day um, I'd found 6 all day and uh, we, were, we were we just got into a, another area where the guy I was with had found some sheds. He said, "Let's go over there for the last hour of the day." And I didn't have a backpack. We're only be out for an hour. I found 14 in an hour. And <laughs> uh, I had a, I had three mule deer sheds that were uh, actually all from the same buck. I had a, a set from the mule deer and then a previous side for that buck. And he was about a 70 inch. You know, they were about 70 inch sides. And I had I had a spike shoved in my pocket. I had a couple of you know, yearling buck antlers in my pockets. I had tan you know, antlers hanging from the brow tins, uh <laughs> on my pockets and my belt loops. And, and, uh, and I had them all carried, in, you know, in front of me because I didn't have a backpack. And, uh, it was a sight to see. It was a, it was a fun hour. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I bet.
2: Have you hunted in, uh, shed hunted in Saskatchewan a lot?
0: I've been up there three times. Um, I've always done with Bentley Colvin. And, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing, like the, The number of sheds and the trophy potential, you know, that's where the Hanson buck came from. And, um, it's just tremendous potential up there for both trophy size and numbers. And, uh, it's, it's really something.
2: Now I've heard this from some of my buddies who are, they, they travel to go shed hunting, but they don't necessarily have the rodent problem up in certain parts of uh, Canada. So they're, they're not going to get chewed on and they were telling me that they went on a like a a 4-day shed hunt once and they they stumbled a, across this old alfalfa field and they found i think it was like 32 sheds like no one had shed shed hunted this area for several several years and they found like 32 sheds on this uh on on this one field and they found multiple years of the same buck so i think they said they found three matching deer and then you know you look at them you see the characteristics and they believed that to be the same buck for 3 years in a row all dropped in this field have you ever ran into a scenario like that where did you say that field was <laughs> <laughs> yeah was, i think i think it was they i think they said it was it was either in Saskatchewan or Alberta
0: that's pretty awesome. Really? Yeah, um, I pretty found, far north. I found, yeah. Um, like I was saying earlier when I found out that uh, big mule there match set, um, they were 10 feet apart. And, uh, the one side from the previous year was a hundred yards away. Um, I found, uh, a buddy of mine, Dan Hess, when we were out in Montana one year, he found, uh, three years in a row on the same, uh, three, uh, left sides in a row on the same walk, all within like a hundred or 200 yards. Um, I found, uh, one bucket shed, uh, under the same tree two years in a row. So, uh, wow. it, it certainly happens. Um, I don't know if it's common or or not, but yeah, it certainly does happen.
1: And that would be pretty awesome to find. I, uh, uh, man, one
2: last question about like the crazy things. Um, <laughs> how, how often have you, let's say you scoured an area, right. And you're like, okay, I've, i'm sure i have found a, a shed every shed off this property it's it's maybe march even late march and then the next year you come back and you find a year old shed
0: yeah it, it definitely happens um <laughs> it, sometimes it's, it seems unbelievable that you could spend that much time looking and and not find them, but it certainly happens and you know the so saving grace is the, the following year they start to bleach out in the sun a little bit, so they do get whiter and they do get a little bit easier to see. But right. uh, it is amazing how how hard you can look and not find an antler.
1: I hate that. <laughs> it's like how how <laughs> is this possible that we didn't find this antler? There's a, there's man, <laughs> shed hunting is like. I have a love-hate relationship with it. Like There's so much exciting and awesome about it, but then there's so many things that can be frustrating about it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, I've walked for 20 hours. My feet are bleeding. How come I haven't seen a single shed? And then my buddy, who's like 30 yards away, has found like 10 of them. Like, I feel like it's one of those weird things where even if you're doing everything right, sometimes there's definitely a big piece of luck involved that it's sometimes going to be going in your favor, and, and sometimes it's just not going to happen.
0: Absolutely. You know, and I've gone out, you know, with guys that are good shed hunters and, you know, a couple guys will have a really good day and one guy gets skunked and, and I know that guy's a good shed hunter and sometimes that guy's me, (laughs) but uh, yeah, there's definitely a luck factor.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's the truth. So Joe, we're, we're, we're wrapping up on time here, but if there's one single thing that you want to either add that we haven't talked about yet, or that you want to reiterate for our listeners, like the single most important thing to help people find more sheds what would that one thing you'd want to leave people with?
0: Well, I think, you know, do some scouting, find out where the bucks are hanging, and, and make sure you're in an area with bucks. You know, if you're looking on public ground that's heavily hunted, it's, it's a, an uphill battle because there's just not going to be a lot of bucks. And then when you get on that good piece of ground, um, look for those lone evergreen trees, look for a south-facing hillsides, and, and that's a real good start to, to find some sheds.
1: I I'd certainly agree. So if people want to pick up your book or learn more about uh, what you've got going on, is there anywhere they can find that online?
0: Yeah, they can go to my website shedhunting.com or they can like go shedhunting on
1: Facebook. Perfect. We will make sure to link that, and uh, I think on that note, i'm I'm about ready to go shed hunting myself. So thank you, Jill, for taking this time with us and, and sharing everything you've learned.
0: Yeah, well, thanks for having me guys.:
1: And that will be it for us today. Real quick though, I want to give you all a little update. We recorded this original interview a few days ago, but last night, that bill we talked about in the beginning to sell off 3.3 million acres of public lands, it was taken out of consideration and killed, and it happened because of you guys. Hunters and anglers and climbers and campers and all sorts of other outdoor enthusiasts, we all rallied together on this one, and all those emails and phone calls and social media posts, it all made a difference and I'm really encouraged by this. I think it's a great example of what we can do in the outdoor community when we come together and let our voice be heard for the good of our wildlife and our wild places. But I also just want to remind you too that this is just a small battle in a much bigger war against our public lands. There are going to be many, many more bills and proposals like this coming down the pipeline. You know, as our current sitting Congress has it in their public list of priorities to sell off our public lands. So Be sure to keep your ear to the ground, and when you hear more attempts like this, give them hell and let these politicians know that public lands belong in public hands. And with that, we will now officially wrap it up by thanking our partners that help keep this podcast on the air. So, thanks to Sitka Gear, Yeti Coolers, Ozonics, Redneck Blinds, Maven Optics, Whitetail Institute of North America, Carbon Express, and Huntera Maps, and finally, thank you for being with us today thanks for giving a damn about hunting and our wildlife and our wild places. And thank you for staying wired to hunt.